Hey everybody, and welcome to Rabbit's Rumblings, Podcast 127. There was recently some topics on the EverQuest Next forums that brought up some thoughts about characters and how we play characters, so I'll talk about that for a little bit. Infinity Blade 3 is now out for iOS. I haven't played that a whole lot, but I have a few notes of interest. Played about, I guess, an hour, maybe an hour and a half so far. I finally saw the animated movie Epic. Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has started, and I saw the pilot episode, so I'll talk about that. And in sort of a news-related topic, I briefly talk about 4K resolution monitors. A lot of stuff to talk about this time. Hopefully you'll enjoy the show. So over on the EverQuest Next forums, they have this developer roundtable. And so far what they're doing with that is they are asking a question. And it's usually sort of a multiple choice question. You can only pick one answer so far. I wish they would let you pick more than one. But one of the topics that got a ton of replies was how did people feel about race class restriction? Most of the games these days still hold to sort of the old standard that each race within the game has certain classes they can or cannot play. EverQuest 1 and EverQuest 2 were both like this. They both had restrictions on what races could be which classes. However, one of the things that the developers of EverQuest Next really wanted to stress was they didn't want the player to have any kind of bad feelings or disappointment about choices they'd made in a game and because often with character creation you'll have choices and options about stuff that you might not really know all that much about or might not know anything about and an even more important point is what about things that get added in the future you know what about expansions if there were race class restrictions in the future when a new class comes out you know the race you picked may or may not be able to be that class So there was a lot of concern about that, and they didn't want people to regret that kind of decision. So they had sort of this overall policy that they were being open to people having any class and any race and not having any restrictions. But they put the question up in the forum for people to discuss and, you know, see what people's opinions and feelings were on it. In the arguments by the players, a lot of people did want old school restriction. I don't think it was a majority. And we always have to remember with these kind of forums, you know, these are the people that are going to, you know, look at stuff early, long before a game is out. And in addition to that, you know, the people that are, you know, being vocal on the forums. But of the people who were saying they were for restriction, some of them were referencing that they wanted it based on the lore, which the lore for EverQuest Next is completely different than previous lore. And a lot of people brought up the points that They wanted it based on the lore that they knew of that race, sort of ethnic and, I guess in this case, racially based traits would be accurate. Because you know these are 
fantasy races, so they're all very different, you know, elves and ogres and halflings, you know, they aren't, you know, like real people where, you know, race isn't really a thing. In this case, you know, it actually is. But my stance, and part of this might be because I played The Secret World and I saw, you know, an open system in action, is that I really didn't see any reason to hang on to these sort of old ideas of restricting certain classes to certain races. One of the things that I kept bringing up was that just because you do have class race restrictions, that's not going to prevent somebody from making an alt character. If somebody really wants, you know, a character that has this class and a character that has this other class, and you know those are restricted, you know, they're just going to make two different characters. To me, that doesn't make the game any more fun and interesting. The person is still going to play both classes. They're just going to be forced, you know, in the case of restriction, to log out of one character and log in with the other character. And this has been kind of a pain in my butt for a few different games, particularly with Rift when I was in a guild. I had, you know, two different sort of main bodies I would use. I had my tanking body, which I used kind of most of the time. But I also had an alt body, which was sort of support and, I guess, backup DPS. It wasn't kind of main DPS, but I could do you know, a decent amount of DPS. So for me, you know, having these two different bodies, it was kind of a big pain in the butt. I really just wished, you know, a lot of times when the group wanted, you know, this or that, and we switched out, you know, I really just wished I could have just switched my spec and been, you know, that different spec. Instead of needing to go to the extent of, you know, break out of the group, log out of that character, log into the new character, rejoin the group, the group has to go back to the entrance of the dungeon or wherever, you know, depending on which game it is, you know, so that I can get bounced back to the group, and then we have to run forward and get back to the place in the point of the dungeon we were. You know, that all just seemed like a big pain in the butt to me that really is kind of unnecessary these days. Especially with my ex-guild that I was doing that with, you know, a lot of them only had one or two hours to play in a night. Something like that, you know, that's just little more than a time sink that is kind of unnecessary. I mean, yes, from a story standpoint, if it makes sense for that world, you know, if the races are completely separate, they have totally different ethnic and cultural histories in terms of, you know, how they go about things, and that's why they have different classes. You know, I get that. I respect that. I want to, you know, retain that in a way. But I really think forcing that on, you know, modern gamers is really not the way to go. Because while it is, you know, interesting from a lore standpoint, you know, probably, I would say 90% of the population just isn't going to care about that at all. They're going to be like, well, I picked this race because it had the class I wanted and it looked the coolest to me. You know, they're not going to care about the history and the lore of that race. They're just going to pick the one that has the class that isn't, you know, restricted in the way they didn't want to be restricted. In another sense, if you look at it just as a, the player is spending this amount of time and they're getting, you know, this amount of reward. If you think about a job, you know, you go to your job, however many hours you go to it, let's assume you have a full-time job, you know, you're on eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, and then you get paid. You know, your boss isn't restricting how you spend that pay. They're not saying you have to spend this much on rent and this much on food. 
you know, you're just free to spend it however you want. Although that's not, you know, the greatest analogy, if you think about that with, you know, entertainment, particularly gaming, you're spending X amount of time playing a game, why should you be forced to spend it in a certain way? You know, if you want to have one character with two different classes, why shouldn't you be able to do that? Why do they need that extra layer of, no, no, you can't do that. You have to level up this character and level up this character separately, and they're both separate. Even though, you know, the game design for EverQuest Next was already like that. If you're going to level up a warrior, say, you spend four hours playing your warrior, it will level that up. If you want to spend four hours playing as Rogue and leveling that up, you know, that will level up as well. But you know, EverQuest Next does have this design where if you want to just level up Warrior, you can spend all eight hours as a Warrior, but you can split your experience between Warrior and Rogue. Mechanically, the player is spending eight hours either way. I mean, they're they're online, they're playing the game, they're, you know, doing whatever it is. So I just don't understand why they should be forced to play you know, two different bodies. Why should they be forced to log in or log out, you know, based on what they want to play? You know, why shouldn't they just be able to play and spend the experience how they want? As I mentioned, one of the key things players seem to keep sort of returning to, I I guess kind of indirectly, is the idea that they wanted to retain sort of the cultural identity of the race, you know, according to previous EverQuest games. I actually mentioned this to the community manager who had put up that poll question and suggested the idea of what if race was culturally based in that it had passive slots, and these could be used for things other than just racial bonuses, but what if some of this racial identity was retained in these sort of passive slots? Like just a few examples, those unfamiliar with EverQuest and EverQuest 2. Back with EverQuest 1, the Dark Elves had this special vision called Ultra Vision, and it gave you sort of a different color spectrum when it was night. Humans didn't have it, and so players of human characters almost couldn't see anything at night. It was almost pitch black. But to somebody who was a Dark Elf player, they actually saw sort of purple and blues, so it was very different. Something like that is, you know, a bit more game-impacting than not. But another suggestion I said is, what about, you know, dwarves are typically perceived as this jolly drinking race. What if one of their racial passives had an option for something like, something called, like, ever-flowing pint, and maybe every five minutes they automatically get this pint of ale put in their inventory, and it just keeps piling up until they get, you know, a full stack, whatever the stack limit is. For most games, it's like 20. But, you know, that would, I think, help preserve some of the racial, you know, identity and things players associate with this race. And so I think, you know, they might be a little bit more okay about the non-restricted race class options, because then... You know, if they had these passive slots, if each race had maybe five kinds of potential passive racials they could slot into, say, two slots, and, you know, maybe you could switch them, but probably not all that often. 
But would that, you know, help players feel like the race has a racial identity? Because in an open system like this, you know, it's going to wind up that maybe a gnome and maybe an ogre, you know, are both warriors. You know, maybe they will build their stats the same or that, you know, they will compensate for weaknesses through, you know, how they build their character and what equipment they get. But what if, say, Gnome had a racial ability which was, I don't know, quick as a bunny, and maybe they had, you know, plus 3% chance to dodge, whereas ogres were mighty as giants, and maybe they have plus 3% to melee attacks. You know, I'd prefer they not be, you know, in-game bonuses, but just, you know, as example, you know, something like that would be like, well, gnomes and ogres can both be warriors, but, you know, they both have a little bit different flavor. The gnome is small and agile, and he has a little bit better chance to dodge, whereas the ogre is big and lumbering and, you know, smashes stuff in the face a little harder. You know, I think that will help people retain that perception, you know, as a race, and yet, you know, not have these totally game-breaking restrictions like, nope, no gnomes can be warriors ever. You know, you've got that sort of blurred line. You've got that option. And, you know, they've got a different flavor based on race. So I don't know. Um, maybe we will see more discussion on that and people's opinions. Because the community manager I sent the message to said she really liked the idea and would propose it to the developers and we might see aspects of those points, you know, coming up in future developer roundtables. And the specific question I proposed for that was, since race and class are not restricted, and you can switch those, you know, in theory, whenever you want, or, you know, frequently enough, how would players feel about also being able to switch race, you know, with their character? Because as I said, you know, a lot of people will look at it as, you know, I'm spending X number of hours on this character, you know, say a race is unlocked, you know, in a future expansion a year after release, you know, some people are going to want to be able to, you know, just transfer over that progress. So I don't know, you know, I was really curious. And, you know, hopefully they will put this in the questions. And, you know, get people's opinion, you know, would they want that as an option? Or, you know, are they going to say no way, you shouldn't ever let people change their race, you know, once they make their race, they should be stuck with it. I don't know. I will probably not change my race once I pick it. But I don't know, you know, if there are different racial bonuses, and if people aren't allowed to switch too frequently, maybe say you can only switch, you know, a few times unless it's, you know, a paid microtransaction thing or something. You know, maybe an expansion comes out and there's a new race, or maybe a new race is unlocked by Rally Call. You know, maybe I might want to switch. I don't know. And I certainly wouldn't want to have to start over a whole new character just for that race. So I don't know. Um, just some rambly thoughts, I guess, about you know, how players play and how they perceive themselves. You know, certainly in the old days, as it were, you know, people lived the life. They wanted that character. They wanted those restrictions. You know, they wanted their story to be very different between characters. But now with EverQuest Next, you know, it's going to have an evolving landscape. Places are going to change, positions of where the monsters are are going to change, they're going to move around, things will rise, things will fall. So in theory, you're going to have a different experience whenever you travel through an area, you know, regardless of what level your character is. So I think, you know, things like this, we sort of have to think out of the box. You know, why don't people want restrictions, you know, and, and they talked about that. And I think, you know, 
maybe looking a little deeper and thinking about things like, you know, racial identity and ethnicity in terms of gaming and having players associate certain things with, you know, that race. Maybe we need to sort of go beyond the traditional concept of, you know, basic attributes and look at alternate ways to sort of retain that identity to keep players happy. So Infinity Blade 3 is out. As I said, I was kind of surprised by the announcement. Sort of doubly surprised by, hey, Infinity Blade 3 is on the way and it's coming out you know, in like a week or two, whatever it was. But I guess, you know, it's not really a surprise to anyone that there is a third game in the series. Unfortunately, this still seems to be iOS specific, which is kind of sad because it's one of the really good, I, I guess you could say mobile games that I've actually really liked quite a bit. As usual, there seems to be no overall difficulty setting. However, when I last played, I died twice against the same guy, and it asked me, in sort of an oddly phrased question, too hard? Question mark. And it gave me the option for yes or no. I said no, and I, I decided to stop playing for that day. But assumably, if you pushed yes, you know, that would lower the difficulty of that monster. So I guess there is sort of a indirect difficulty setting. But if, you know, you had a hard time with the timing and getting very far in the first two games, you probably don't want to pick up the third one. Because it is very similar. A lot of the stuff is pretty much the same thing, but just bigger and better. The third one has this awesome new intro that explains a lot of the story. You know, what's going on with the characters? Who is this big bad guy? Why is he here? What's going on? And it's actually done in English instead of you know, the crazy, weird language they used to speak. No offense to anybody if that was an actual language they were speaking. I think it was a made-up one, so that's why I said, you know, crazy language. I don't know if it's localized in that if you get a different version for a different country, if it would have, you know, that native language. It wouldn't surprise me, though, if it had, you know, the five major languages they typically translate things into. New for the third game is that you can craft potions. I actually completely forgot I had started one. But it looks like you can set up these sort of potions that you want to craft, and I don't know if I found any ingredients, but it looks like there's a list of ingredients, and you kind of pick this one and this one and put it together. It has one of those, you know, real-world timers where it's going to go and take so long to make the potion. And it has an option that you can speed it up. I don't remember what the currency was because I kind of forgot. But you have a new achievement system, and the achievement system also unlocks sort of currency token things. So it wouldn't surprise me if that's what the currency was on the potion screen. So that seems kind of really interesting. They've added some new things. They've added, you know, different stuff for you theoretically to click on as the scene goes by, you know, get ingredients for various things. As always, you know, don't forget to look around when you stop somewhere, see if there is anything to pick up. 
And the achievements are kind of cool. And they're pretty standard achievements to certain things so many times. But the fact that they build up these achievement token money things, you know, opens up some cool possibilities that weren't there before. As always, it has some pretty ridiculously beautiful scenery. Certainly one of the most beautiful games I've seen on mobile. And the characters look a little bit more detailed this time. I think they've gone with sort of more of an animated comic style. It's not so much you'd really notice. But I think it's like just enough that that gives them sort of flexibility to, you know, maybe reduce polygon count, but increase sort of the the look of the textures. Because the bad guys I've seen so far did look, you know, really awesome. And I haven't seen too much equipment for me, but, you know, what I peeked at did look, you know, very cool and interesting. As I said, I've only played about an hour and a half, so sort of just kind of a preview so far. But if you liked the first and second Infinity Blade, especially if there wasn't enough, you know, non-combat stuff for you, I would say you should absolutely take a look at Infinity Blade 3. There is, you know, the same amount of stuff as before. And there's, you know, all this new stuff that looks like it could be potentially interesting. I've gotten to a few points where there are some cutscenes with different characters. And there is a female character who is featured, you know, on the screenshots as playable. So at some point, I guess, I will unlock her. So far, I only have the main male character that was presumably in the previous games. And I met sort of a a thief pirate person who just kind of made a brief appearance. She stole my treasure. I don't know what's going on. So I don't know if I'll see her again. But in terms of, you know, story and cutscenes and explaining, you know, what's going on in the world, there certainly seems to be a good promise that Infinity Blade 3 will have, you know, all that stuff you felt was missing from the first games. I finally saw Epic, the computer animated film. It is rated PG. It is a lot of fun. The movie is not specifically targeted at little ones or, I guess, you know, tweens. But it is sort of, you know, a fairy tale kind of story. But it works quite well for adults as well, I think. The story follows basically what is a time where the queen of the forest is changing. I guess it's sort of a a typical good versus evil tale of whoever gets the thing that is coming up will, you know, rule for X amount of time. So I guess that is, you know, not particularly new. But there's a lot of sort of more subtle stories, you know, in, in terms of relationships between different characters, as well as sort of changes, you know, in yourself and in relationships. And I think that really helped the movie stand out as something you know, a lot more memorable than just, you know, this time-old tale of good versus evil, whoever has the thing wins. The characters are extremely well animated. There's a lot of subtlety, which is kind of similar to the actor or actress that is playing that character. 
So it kind of makes me wonder if they did motion capture, you know, with that particular person. Or if, you know, the animators just really studied them a lot and got, you know, sort of a lot of their motions and, you know, subtle facial movements into the character that they were animating. Because it looks, you know, really super good. The music was pretty great. There was a credit notation to Danny Elfman, but it was actually kind of surprising to me to see that at the end of the movie, you know, in the credits. Because this soundtrack was sort of very light and sort of very folkish. Sort of Scottish, Irish, Celtic kind of tones to it. Which is really not sort of Danny Elfman's main sort of darker, heavy style with a lot of, you know, voice chanting. So it seemed, you know, quite different than the average Danny Elfman soundtrack that we're used to in so many different movies. It does have a small number of sort of very serious moments. But it also has a surprising number of fairly hilarious moments. And these aren't, you know, funny, you know, aimed at little kids kind of hilarious. These are, you know, genuinely hilarious to adults as well. If you enjoy Fantasy Worlds, it's a lot of fun and I highly recommend it. I would recommend you watch it with popcorn. And I would recommend you watch it with loved ones. And if you have them, little ones. Because I think that might be the best way to watch it. Take my love, take my land, take me where I cannot stand. I don't care, I'm still free, you can't take the sky from me. Take me out to the black, tell them I ain't coming back. Burn the land and boil the sea. Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has had its pilot episode. If you missed it on, I guess, live TV, you can pick it up on your favorite online viewing place. I'm not sure when it came out, but I was at a friend's on Tuesday, and I saw they were kind of watching it. You know, they had some people over, and I was with my friend over, you know, doing something else. I took him my old system and you know, set that up because his like died and was old and crappy. Anyways, I was like, oh, yikes, spoilers, don't look. And then I was quite surprised when I came on to my subscriptions on Hulu on Wednesday and saw, you know, there's the episode. So I think that means they're going online, you know, almost immediately after they air. The pilot show was a great story overall. While some of the team has already been assembled, the show starts off as basically an origin point for some of the team. And I think by the end of the show, we are at least briefly introduced to all of the characters we're going to be seeing on a regular basis. I don't know how long the history is for S.H.I.E.L.D. as an agency in terms of comics, but I do know it is quite a long history, so there is quite a bit of depth to all of the characters. I don't know how many of them are, you know, brand new for the show and how many of them are existing characters, but they all felt, you know, very solid None of them felt like they were just kind of thrown in and don't have any history. They all feel like, you know, very solid characters that do have a strong history. As always, there is that Joss Whedon humor. And I think maybe half a dozen times during the show, I I kind of laughed out loud. Because they were pretty funny lines here and there. And it's, you know, never over the top or, you know, just putting a joke there because they could. You know, it's always almost to the point of, you know, being subtle, like if you space out for a few seconds you might miss it 
but it is very definitely a, a Joss Whedon type of humor. Not really much to say about it, only having one show, but I think it is a great start to what should be a very awesome series, and I would highly recommend it for anyone who is a comic or superhero fan. So people who are looking around at TVs or high-end monitor tech might have recently heard some mumblings about 4K monitors. They're sort of gaining momentum in terms of, I guess you could say, bleeding-edge ramblings. It's kind of the new thing people are working on. The short version is, if you took four standard 1080 resolution monitors and put them you know, all in a square, and turn that into, you know, one monitor, you know, smush it back down in size. That's how much resolution a 4K monitor has. So in terms of, you know, sharpness and quality of image, it is, you know, in theory, noticeably better than 1080. In kind of a, you know, similar way that 1080 was much better than, you know, the previous standard signal slash DVD. In terms of adoption rate, I think it's probably going to be quite a while before we actually see this in mainstream. Right now, you know, it is bleeding edge. There is very little going on with it. You know, much like Blu-ray over DVD, it's going to take quite a while for them to get, you know, that native content in that higher resolution. In terms of gaming, if you compare it to triple monitor, which is kind of all the rage now, Triple monitor gives you, you know, three monitors. It gives you that wider field of view, and that's really important for gaming. But a 4K monitor would just be a single monitor. You don't get that wider field of view. You know, it would be the same, you know, picture of what's in front of you on a 1080 screen as a 4K screen. But it would look, you know, much nicer on a 4K screen. But in terms of comparison, you're sacrificing a larger field of view for something that's, you know, nicer looking, and it will take, you know, more power to run it because it's basically, you know, four monitors instead of three. I think the most important thing to note right now is that most games are not compatible with it. The developers are going to have to include, you know, super high-res textures, and in some cases, you know, maybe special coding, like in terms of the UI, you know, to accommodate for that higher resolution. Otherwise, you're just going to have this effect that, you know, was the same kind of effect when you're playing a DVD on an early Blu-ray player. You know, it's just going to scale it up. And while it is, you know, faked higher resolution, you know, sometimes it's not going to scale up very well and it's going to look, you know, worse on the super high-end thing than on the lower-resolution native thing. So in addition to, you know, not being natively supported, you know, it might actually look worse in some cases. So there is that as well. And lastly, probably the most important thing for mainstream gamers is 
the one monitor I saw sort of in advertisement and, you know, big deal, big deal, here's our 4K monitor for gamers, was that it was a 31.5-inch monitor, and it cost 4000 bucks. So that is a ton of money that requires a ton of graphical power to run it. And at 31.5 inches, you're not going to want that on your desk right in front of you within reach. That's going to be, like, way too big. This is something you're going to want to be, like, you know, in a living room, at least, you know, four feet away, I'd say, maybe five feet away. You're not going to want that, you know, on your desk right next to your keyboard and your speakers. You're going to want that, you know, further away from you. So I think 4K, well, interesting in principle. You know, it will be nicer to get higher resolution and, you know, see clearer, sharper pictures. I think we are quite a ways off due to the power required to run them. And, you know, right now they're they're bigger sizes. They probably are targeting, you know, something more like casual living room experience. So as I said, um, you know, it's probably far too early to really talk about. I do think it's going to be several years before we really need to worry about it in gaming. It's going to take a while for those prices to come down. They're not going to want to keep them, you know, monitors that big. And, you know, probably most importantly, it's going to be a little while for the, you know, graphics card to get powerful enough to run it, you know, without having to do things like, you know, high-end graphics cards and having, you know, two of them just to run that one monitor. So that's going to take a little while as well. In the news, Steam has announced the Steam OS. And not surprisingly, they have announced sort of a, a living room item, which is probably just a reimagining of what was previously the Steam box. So it looks like what they're targeting is this sort of box that is like a console, and it has, you know, basically an operating system that takes you right into your Steam account. You know, you play your Steam games and, you know, they're targeting a living room experience. It will be curious to see what kind of pricing they're targeting. Right now, it's still kind of early. They do have a test program, so they're looking at, you know, sending it to some people's homes and checking it out, you know, in action, as it were. But it will be very interesting to see if this is sort of going in a direction that would be sort of a a competition to Xbox One. Because I think gamers would be much more interested in sort of a multimedia device slash gaming device, you know, that shares that account with their regular PC or Mac. I think that would be much more appealing than, you know, a console that was previously a gaming console, you know, trying to do that. I don't think many people who owned, you know, previous Xboxes are going to be all that like, whoa, there's extra media stuff on here. I'm so happy. That's not really something they're looking for. You know, a PC gamer, you know, they're going to be like, oh, hey, there's all this extra media stuff I was doing on my computer. Now I can do it in my living room. That's kind of cool. I think more people would be much more interested in that. 
So it'll be interesting to see where the Steam box and you know Steam OS go in the future. In other news, Batman Arkham Origins is out on October 25th. So if you were into the previous Batman games, definitely keep your eye out for that. It looks pretty awesome. So I guess that's it for this extra long Rabbit's Ramblings. There's no Pirate's Treasure. Hasn't been in a while. Not really doing too much gaming lately. Should probably get more into Infinity Blade 3. Not so into mobile gaming anymore, so I rarely do that. Still pretty much just playing Hearthstone. Earlier in the week, I took my old system, which was in storage, to a friend of mine who I haven't seen in like 15 years. I guess his system was... Kind of effectively dead. It was kind of scary because when we first hooked it up, there were a few pretty major crashes and we didn't know what was going on. It was really unhappy about getting the current graphic card drivers. I don't know if we'll be able to fix that. Shouldn't really need them though. I mean, you rarely need to update graphic card drivers you know, unless something in tech you know, has really changed. But for a graphics card that's like 8 years old, you know, shouldn't have to update the drivers. Should be okay, or, you know, the game would just be, like, way too power-hungry to actually work on that kind of card if, you know, you absolutely had to upgrade. But, um, it only crashed on Hearthstone, and since he is, like, an hour and a half away from me, you know, we only tried it for that night, and now he's playing, you know, other stuff. He hasn't really been able to be a huge gamer, because he hasn't really had, you know, awesome systems. So, you know, I was very happy to, you know, give him my older system and say, here, you know, it's not amazing, but it should, you know, be able to play most games, you know, at lower settings. We got him the Rift free-to-play version, and he tried that out for, like, half an hour, I think. He was previously interested in it, so he was very interested to check it out again. And it ran, you know, for that half hour without any issues. So hopefully, you know, the issues are isolated to Hearthstone and, you know, he'll be okay. You know, I told him to go pick up, you know, Star Wars The Old Republic because, you know, of the two I like Star Wars The Old Republic much better. It's also free to play, so so he'll be able to, you know, pick that up and, and check that out and play something for free there. And hopefully, you know, he will have a good time and everything will be cool and there will not be any more crazy exploding crashes. My system is still mostly okay. It still has a few issues. Every now and then it still gives me that weird battery is needing to be replaced warning. The other day again, you know, I unplugged it for like 10 seconds and it dropped from 100% to like 60% or something terrible. So it is still really crazy in the head. Need to get that replaced, you know, as soon as possible. I've gotten quite a few extra shifts at work lately. So I rechecked my bills and, you know, moved some money around and, and checked, you know, the timing on things. And it looks like if everything goes well, 
I should currently be on schedule to replace my laptop around Turkey Day weekend, which is about a month and a half sooner than I originally had, you know, budgeted. So that would be super awesome good news if that, you know, stands and stays stable. School has started up again, which is kind of very sad. And every time it goes to a new quarter, you know, I'm faced with the fact that, you know, nothing is really changing. And, you know, again, I'm starting up a new quarter and, you know, nothing so far has made any difference. That's very sad and depressing. But, um, you know, it is what it is, I guess. I just have to keep trying to change how I can. But hopefully everybody out there is having a good time and not having terrible life struggles like me. And hopefully I'll see everybody next time. Okay, thanks, bye. I actually mentioned this to the community mon- Meh. And, uh, the split- And then I was quite surprised when I came on to my, you know, to my, um... Now, it's always almost to the point of, you know, being subtle. Like, if you space out for a few seconds, you might miss it. But it's the... I wonder if the success of ABC's previous hero show, Nor, 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 it's also free to play, so it'll be da And that's probably just rambling. Tune in tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. You have been listening to Rabbit's Ramblings. If you would like to see the show notes or feed the bunny by sending a donation, you can find the show website at www.rabbit.com slash podcast slash rabbitsramblings.html. If you would like to send me an email, you can do so at rabbit at rabbit.com. If you friend me, you can also post on Facebook at rabbit.com. You can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at rabbitdot.com. It's rabbit.com, but with not a period. When you type rabbit's ramblings, don't use the space, and be sure to put the number one in place of I whenever you type rabbit. Rabbit's Ramblings is copyright 2013 and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license.